Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's a hiatus. We're back from it. We didn't mean to have it, but we are back to episode 1313. 13 ain't enough. We're going to do more of How's That Day, a culture rundown with Tom and Phil. I'm Phil Wiedenheft. I'm here to introduce you to my co-host, Mr. Thomas Eaton and Apple Bond. What's up? <laughs> there he is, hey. chomping. Hey, how's it going? Each... <laughs> Uh, each week, Tom and I get together to chat about how our days have been going, and together we work through our thoughts on what's going on in pop culture. And at this rate, it's mostly movies, but we're going to get on to other stuff. This week, we're going to talk more movies, but whatever. This week, I will start the same way I start every week, because that's how we do. Tom, how's that day? Phil, don't apologize that we're a movie podcast, right? We love movies. If you guys don't like it, you don't have to listen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but they have to fucking listen to you chew right now. <laughs> Is that the most annoying thing you can hear on a podcast? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I don't listen to any of the food podcasts. Do you? I, I don't I don't there's, know what those are like. Called, okay, I'm putting the apple down. There's one called Doughboys, which I listen to occasionally. That do, they is, just uh, eat, do they eat bread? It's a show, two comedians, um, Nick Weiger and Mike Mitchell, review chain restaurants. So, like, they go to like bj's in los angeles or tgi fridays and they um they usually bring it okay i see i can hear you I'm, i was trying water. to i was ah, I was, try, I was trying to s- slip one in there you can never slip whoa that's what she said you can never slip those i hear it every single time phil we've gone over this. my slow gulps always so you think the i was fine with the apples but you're not no, 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 fine i'm with not the gulp. i'm not i'm i'm more I'm more calling you out for judging me for the apple chewing when then you start just chugging like what sounded like a gallon of water. In my defense, though, no one else listening to the podcast will hear me gulping because I will delete that while because you will be talking. So I try to slip in my sips while you're talking because I know they'll never make their way. Whereas the apple, they're going to fucking hear that, man. They're going to fucking hear that. My name's Tom. Like that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What kind of apple you got? What kind of apple you got? Uh, you got a you got a honey crisp? It is a honey crisp. Do you? That's my favorite apple. Yeah. Can I t- can I tell you my apple secret? What's that? All right. Well, I've given up on a life of crime. You know, like I, I put that stuff behind me. I don't. You know, usually I try to follow the laws. I used to be a rule bender, a rule breaker. But you know, whenever whenever I can, I try to abide by the rules these days. As I march further into adulthood, mm-hmm. but my small rebellion. Is that I love Honeycrisp apples. I fucking love Honeycrisp apples. They're my favorite. I'm to the point where I don't even want to eat other kinds of apples. But they're also the most expensive. And sometimes I'm like, damn, they're overpriced, these fucking Honeycrisp apples. Everything, every other fucking apple here is a dollar a pound. These are like $3 a pound. I mean, like, obviously the quality is higher, so that's why they're charging more. But I'll admit, on occasion, I happen to maybe, you know, know the four-digit code of the other cheaper apples. And sometimes when I'm at self-checkout, I might just type in one of those codes and not pay full price for my Honeycrisp apples. That's my that's my like lone rebellion into adulthood is that I kind of underpay for my apples at the store. What's, what's the name and location of the grocery store that you frequent? Uh, it's a Food Lion in North Carolina. Okay. Um, yeah, I travel all the way down there to do this. So, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> so you're bringing illegal apples across state lines. Well, yeah. Uh, well, you know, there's a checkpoint from Vegas to LA for apples well it's supposedly there was actually an interesting story now I don't want to get political but there's a um, a checkpoint in California you know that's supposedly for uh, like a fruits and vegetables check you know interstate yeah because it's all farmland and desert out there 
But uh, apparently, what something happened recently where I think it was like a Greyhound bus maybe leaving Vegas and going to Los Angeles or something like that, and there was an immigration checkpoint there. And at that checkpoint, they stopped, boarded the bus, and demanded to see everyone's IDs. And thankfully, some woman just like raised the stink. It was like that's this is an agricultural checkpoint. That's not what this is. Everyone, don't show them your ID. You have. Like, no obligation to do it, even if you're not a legal immigrant, and just would not let go, and eventually the guy's just left. And she said there was, like, an old, I forget if it was an old Hispanic man or woman next to her on the bus who just looked terrified, like, shit, I'm about to get deported. And thankfully, this woman just shut that Gestapo shit down. But um, yeah, I don't. I don't blame you for doing that. I do do that sometimes with cherries. Ooh, there's um, what are the name of the the like lighter colored kind of the yellow red cherries, are more expensive than the sh- the dark red ones, and like why why get, why is that? You think? I don't know. I probably because they're just way more fucking delicious. They're so juicy, and beautiful. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They know what they're fucking. They know they know what's good. <laughs> they're like, I mean, never intentionally, but like especially when you do self checkout. And you, like, weigh the fruit, and you just type in what it is. And then, like, if you type in a bunch of bananas, and it says, oh, are these the organic ones that are more expensive or the conventional ones? You're like, fuck, man. If you're asking me, they're the conventional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no one's going to stop me. I guess that's what they are, you know? Yeah, I like, mean... Shit, th- I'm doing your work for you, fucking bagging this and paying for it. I don't do this anymore with... Uh, now that we have movie pass, but I did used to occasionally when I would go to the movies when I wasn't a student, you know, when you're ringing up your own thing, I would be like, yeah, I'm a student. Like, who's going to fucking check me? Or, you know, it's like, um, yeah, I'm in the military. Sure, sure. I would, I would occasionally slip one of those in. Maybe, I, maybe I'm a bad person. I got called out once for doing that because I bought a senior ticket. <laughs> I've done that. I've and definitely... stopped me in New York and was like, you're not a senior. You got to go buy the full price. I'm like, oh, man, you fucking narc. Do you want to know? Go. You're good at your job. You were with me one time that that happened to me in New York, and I remember the movie in the theater. It was because of fucking Ian, that bastard. Let's hear, uh, it. Let's hear the story. Uh, it, story it was time, everyone. 2007. It, the story was the very first Transformers. We went and we all got tickets for some showing. We had the tickets already, and I had paid for the senior or whatever. And then at some point, we got to the theater, and it was like so many other screens or something. We got delayed. It was Ian's fault. This is what I remember is that it was Ian's fault that we were delayed and we had to go swap our tickets out for a later screening. But I had to go with my ticket stub, which said senior to the manager and be like, hey, can you swap this one out for a uh, a different showtime? And he like gave me this look like, um, you are not a senior citizen. I was like, fuck, I know. I know. It was an accident. I don't know what I said to him, but... So did you have to like pay the difference? I had well? to pay the difference and like explain that it was an accident or whatever the fuck I told him. But I was just like, "God damn you, Ian! God damn you!" Yeah, I wonder what he did. Probably something dumb. We were late. Yeah, I, I actually, what's the bar? It's on the um, the west, west side. On the west side, it was like on the water. Yeah, uh, we only really went there that one time with that huge group, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's what I remember about that. We were all there that night, and and it was right uh, around July fourth, which. We're about to hit this year. Yeah. So that so was, was 11, 11, 11 years, years to the day. Wow. So, yeah, it's probably very close. It's probably almost, like you said, to the day. That's crazy. Yeah. Happy anniversary, Transformers. Woo. And, and now there's that fun evening. Now there's that spinoff just about Bumblebee coming out on Christmas. I don't Let's even see. know what the. Uh, yeah, I saw the trailer and I don't know what it's about. It's like a prequel. 
starring Bumblebee. Yeah, but I guess an origin story for Bumblebee, the racist transformer. Yeah, the I gave up watching. Shell was watching one of them the other day. I came home and she had on. I think the last night, and it was just most of it was a cartoon. It looked like I was. I couldn't believe that it. People thought this was like a live action movie because so much of it was computer animated, and the other part of that was I could not believe how just. I mean, I guess I could believe it, but Mark Wahlberg was just so phoning it in, like that. I kind of like had to laugh with him. Like he's like, man, yeah, I'm collecting a paycheck here. He's just so lazy. He's just not trying at all, and it kind of made me laugh. You know, it's weird. I know Transformers has become like a giant punchline. I've only still seen the first one at that screening you're talking about. I've like, seen the first two, and that's all. I kind of liked it. I like the first one. I, yeah. I think everyone, it, it just becomes so much bombast after that. That one was still, I think, sort of character, what character-driven, whatever. But, you know. Yeah, the thing about Michael Bay, too, is, you know, he has this reputation of being so ADD and frenetic with his camera that you can't even follow the action. And maybe a lot of the Transformers sequels have that. The first Transformers has a lot of that too, but I don't know. Maybe it's my ADD addled brain, but I can follow it okay. Like Michael Bay, I, I can I can match his speed, I guess, as a viewer. Yeah, well, I I might when I think of Michael Bay, I think of an argument I got in at school at film school with our teacher because we were <laughs> I don't know what brought it up. I think I was just being a smartass, but I, I obviously believe it. But we were talking about the auteur theory, and they were just throwing out names, you know, like Wes Anderson. You know, like what? Who? Quentin Tarantino, whoever the hell else was being named, and somebody—I don't think it was me that said it at first, but somebody was like Michael Bay, and the teacher she like rolled her eyes and was like, "No." And then I just raised my hand and was like, "Uh, yes, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, like, yeah, absolutely." He applies. I don't care that you think the movies suck, but he. uh, When I say a Michael Bay movie, you know exactly what that means. Yes, And, and that is the definition of an auteur. I just I couldn't believe that. It was. It seems so obvious to me, but there's still that snobbery about him, as if he does not have some incredibly distinct style. It kind of reminds me of that weird, like it's not necessarily for, to my taste, but that weird uh, post late career style that Tony Scott got into, where people right. like it's like an action movie, but he was clearly doing a very visually distinct method of telling that story. Yeah, or Michael Mann, I think applies as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, defining characteristic or multiple characteristics that really define your style michael bay fits that to a t whether or not you like it he definitely qualifies in auteur theory i agree with you tony scott's a good example i was actually thinking about tony scott last night or two nights ago and i randomly looked up his filmography and just like went through what i it's pretty great it's so great especially early tony scott is so 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 good i don't know we should do a tony scott retrospective at one point because he did he did have this late career, I don't want to say renaissance, but this appreciation in, you know, art house film circles as this great auteur. And it was during his period of really mainstream action dramas. Yeah. I'd be curious to revisit a lot of those like Domino or Unstoppable or Man on Fire. Even the taking of Pelham 123 has its defenders, which I remember seeing and thinking it was fine, but nothing special. But... He definitely was a supremely talented filmmaker. I mean, you go back to True Romance, The Hunger, one of the great horror movies of the 80s. I saw The Hunger in uh, the school for that same th- that same teacher who did not appreciate Michael Bay was the one who screened The Hunger for us in cinema and sexuality. Okay, so that teacher's not all bad. 
No, no, no. Not all bad. And we may be discussing Tony Scott later on in this episode. Little teaser. So, Phil, what are we talking about? Oh, no, Phil, Phil, I'm so sorry. Phil, my day's good. How's your day? I actually didn't remember how you told me your day was. I was sitting I here thinking. I didn't say anything, really. I was, yeah, I was thinking. I was like, did he even tell me how his day was going? Okay, real quick. So, it's Sunday. It's been a few weeks. So, we should be catching up a lot, but we're trying to keep this episode a little shorter. So, I'll quickly recap. We finished Mamma Mia. We're now working on the Eli Roth movie, House with a Clock on Its Walls. It's been great. The crew's great. Trailer just came out. Trailer just came out. It looks really fun. It's got a a very frenetic, in a good way, pace to it. Like, very colorful and ambitious looking. I'm, I'm excited to see it. Yeah, your comparison to Goosebumps seemed apt yeah, when I watched it. Yeah, and everything I've seen on the stage uh, that seems to apply. Like, a, a cross between Goosebumps and maybe, like, Back to the Future in, in, the, in a way, like, in terms of the relationship between Jack Black and the kid in the movie. Like, Jack Black seems to be, like, this kind of inventor, magician kind of guy. I don't know. I've been trying to avoid too much info because I'm, I am excited to see it. So, anyway, we're working on that. But I would like to say real quickly, I want to shout out the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood, which has been killing it with their double and triple features lately. So, in the past month, or six weeks maybe, I have gone there four times once I saw a triple feature of the first three Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. Once I went there to go see a double feature of Pumpkinhead and the Stepfather. I would not. I would. I don't know that I'd want Pumpkinhead. And I don't. I don't know. I don't think. I don't think I've seen all of Pumpkinhead actually. Well, then shut the fuck up. You don't know what you're talking about. Pumpkinhead. You're right. I, I don't. I don't. Whatever. I. You know. I, I rewatched the second Texas Chainsaw Massacre last year. That's a crazy fucking movie. Yeah, it is. It's great. It was great to watch live. The third one I went to go see was another triple feature and it was hp lovecraft theme so we had from beyond john carpenter's last masterpiece in the mouth of madness and the mist which i watched for the sixth time even though i don't love that movie yeah we talked we talked about that when you went there and then just two nights ago i went and saw a shaw brothers horror triple feature although i had to leave for the third one because i was falling asleep just because of work not because i wasn't enjoying it black magic 2 even though i've never seen the first one Human Lanterns, which was amazing, and the other, the third movie was The Boxer's Omen, which was the only one I had seen previously, so I didn't feel too bad leaving. But shout out to the Egyptian and Cinematic Void and Friday Night Frights, all these people in L.A. who put on these amazing horror double and triple features. You guys are awesome. You've made my weekends very enjoyable. So that's what I've been up to, Phil. Nice. I have, day, Phil? I, it's very hot is what it is here. It's like fucking 95 degrees. It's been 95 degrees for the last... Like, I don't know, a week or so. And it's not like you're in L.A. where there's like a breeze and it's kind of cool. So even when it is 95 degrees, it's not like the end of the world. Here, it just like sits here and it's just fucking hot. I went on a hike this week. I went on a camping trip this week. Um, The hike was for my movie. We've been location scouting for different parts. We were like getting... We had, there's a waterfall in the script, so we had to like make sure we had that and figure out exactly how long it will take to hike out to that thing with crew and... Uh, you know, like little things like that, because a lot of the movies in the forest. So we're trying to like, I think one of the bigger problems with indie movies that have a lot of forest stuff is making sure the ge- uh, the geography is clear about like where everyone's at and running to and the locations and just like making sure there's like some defining landmarks so that like people can kind of orient themselves. So yeah. we're trying to like we're trying to make sure we have all that stuff down and working on that. So that's been really taking up a lot of my time. I just rewrote the script. I, yeah, just a lot of movie stuff. And otherwise, 
last week, Shell and I went on a camping trip. Well, we we've been talking about moving to LA, and I think we're I think we've agreed that it's going to happen in 2020. Is Fuck. The, is yeah? That's basically we've kind of been working through the calendar, and I think that's basically how everything's going to work out. Is that 2020? Phil and Shell in L.A. with Mr. Tommy Bond. I love it. So we'll be out there, hopefully. And the idea is that we wanted to drive cross country and take our sweet time doing it. And, you know, stop and see some things. Neither of us have ever done the cross country drive. And, yeah, we just wanted to take our sweet time and not have to pay for, like, hotels or whatever every single night while we're out. So she built this, like, she she has a Honda Fit. And she you can drop basically every single seat down. To a point where you can almost, you can lay in the entire thing flat. So she built herself this like out of plywood. She built this like ramp thing where you can lay flat on it. It like you slide it in. It's like these little wood planks that like fold out and have uh, stands, and you stand it in the car, and then you put an air mattress and some memory foam essentially over that. And in the car, we can under that little platform, you can fit storage. So we can lay on a full bed in the car uh, with storage under us and there's room for our dog. So we can kind of just like park wherever and like comfortably sleep uh, with everything. So we were trying that out. So we went on a camping trip and like there was a lot of hiking, very beautiful waterfalls and rocks and hills and shit. And it was great. Yeah. So we had a nice time doing the camp life. We're, we're not very good at building fires yet, but we're working on it. We uh, went through an entire bottle of lighter fluid in one fire. Oh my god! You guys lucky you didn't fucking. It's okay. Burn yourselves to death. We we spread it out. We weren't like crazy. We didn't do, dump it all at once. Um, I did see some photos on Instagram of you guys hiking and of the bed in the car. Yeah, and I gotta yeah. say I was very impressed. Yeah, she built that man. She was like, you know, I probably will never find anything like this in a store, and if I do, it will cost a thousand dollars or something crazy like that. So I might as well just build it myself. So she like measured the dimensions of her car and went to her dad's little shop thing and she built it herself so yeah that's awesome yeah i, so, I was jealous it um i've been thinking all week i need to get a bike i miss riding a bike i think i think your photos maybe had something to do with it i'm like man i gotta fucking get out of this city occasionally and just like put a bike in my car go ride around somewhere in the woods for a couple hours come back on a saturday i just gotta start doing stuff like that more Fuck yeah, you do. The uh, it's it's good for you, you know. Get good for you to get out there. Good for your head. Good for your body. It's good for everything. Yeah. Speaking of my, I I just right before we recorded this, I went to the gym, Phil, for the first time, and I shit you not, two months. Ooh, did it burn? Did it, it burn? Burned. It burned, but it felt really, really good. My breathing is better thanks to my asthma and allergies. I I just I've been in a rut. And I needed it, and I feel good, and I'm ready to record. I'm ready to talk about some goddamn movies. You got those endorphins pumping. All right, well, all right. We're, we're... Sorry. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> That's why I'm eating an apple and not fucking chicken fried chicken with bacon wrapped around it, dripped in chocolate and honey. And syrup. All right, yeah, all right, well. <sighs> so good. <laughs> the, uh, we're keeping right. it short. Um, we're keeping the episode getting, Yeah, yeah. We're going to go get some chicken and waffles. <laughs> um, anyway. So today, we're going to get moving. Let's start talking about the year. Because the date is... I don't fucking know. What is July it's the 30th? 1st. It's July 1st. Holy fuck. All right. So we are officially done with the first six months of 2018. And they've been a really awful you know, six months in terms of like America. But in terms of mm-hmm. film releases, it's been very good. And Tom and I, even though our first episode way back 
was kind of our like thoughts on the year so far. And we talked about some of the titles that we're going to talk about again here. We just wanted to kind of see where we were at halfway through the year and kind of talk about some of our favorite titles, maybe some smaller ones. We're working our way we're working our way through these lists. We love lists. We make lists all the time. We keep recurring lists. So this is going to be a list show, especially as we get towards the end of the year. We're probably going to be doing like top movies of the year, top TV shows of the year, top music of the year. We're going to do we love lists. So we're halfway through the year. We wanted to catch up. I hadn't talked to you in a couple of weeks and we wanted to start there. I want to hear it from Tom. What are your favorite movies of the year? Hit me. Okay, so uh, I'm I obviously want to go 10 through 1 cuz that's more exciting. Do I Run through my top ten, and then you run through yours. We do ten, ten, nine, nine, eight, eight. How do you want to do this? Hmm, I don't know, because I, I I wish I knew ahead of time how much we overlapped. We're gonna overlap at the front, so I say we go ten, ten, nine, nine. Okay, I'll start. Sure. So this is one I know you haven't seen. I'm just I, I can't imagine it's playing in Ohio, and I don't think it's streaming yet. It's called Enel Septimo Dia. No. On the seventh day. It is a film. Uh, let me pull up the director. It's a really small film. I randomly had a day off, and it was playing in this one screen in Los Angeles, so I decided to go see it because it had a really good Metacritic score. So the plot per IMDb, a group of undocumented Mexican immigrants work long hours, six days a week, and then savor their day of rest on Sundays on the soccer fields of Brooklyn. So it's uh, entirely in Spanish, but directed by this white American dude. But basically it's about this... This group of illegal immigrants who live in the boroughs of New York. Uh, they're like 12 guys in a house. They all have various jobs. Um, you know, one cuts flowers at a convenience store. One is uh, – or a couple of people are a dishwasher at a restaurant. One is a delivery driver. Um, all these, you know, different paid labor, cash under the table type gigs. And they're all in this soccer league that they play on Sunday. So the movie starts – They've won the semifinals of their tournament. Next Sunday is going to be the final matchup. We start on that Sunday, and then we go day by day through the rest of the week until we get back to the following Sunday, the day of the championship match. And it just follows this crew around as they live their lives in Brooklyn. And the main character that it follows, the delivery guy of this restaurant, who's really kind of doing well for himself, super hard worker, his boss tells him, I need you and all your guys on Sunday because I'm doing a private event. He's trying to figure out a way to get out of it or tell his buddies, you know, I can't make the game even though he's a star player. So that's the very basic plot. But what the movie's really about is kind of this Darden Brothers feel of capturing the lives of a certain group of people at a certain place and time. And yeah. what, I, what I really loved about it is, A, how heartfelt and funny it is, despite it being a story of the backbreaking labor of a bunch of illegal aliens. And B... Um, how humane it is and how much it makes you realize that America belongs to people like this. Like there are so many scenes of this main character riding on his delivery bike from place to place, checking in with all of his roommates through Queens and Brooklyn. And you just realize like, oh, this is totally his neighborhood. Like where he knows yeah. exactly where he's going all throughout this city. Like he lives here. This is his place. And it doesn't really tell you that. It just shows you that in a really kind of laid back, classy way. It, it was a very enjoyable movie. Um, I won't spoil the ending, but it does actually manage to ratchet up a bit of suspense about whether or not he's going to be able to play in the game and then what happens. 
it gets maybe a little tiny bit of like white hero complexity at the end, which I didn't love. But overall, I was a big fan of this movie. If you like films like the Darden Brothers or movies like Man Push Cart, these you know small indie dramas. Yeah, I was actually going to mention Man Push Cart. Yeah. I, I was going to say it's what it reminded me of from and yeah. like Chop Chop Shop. Yeah, Raman Barani is the guy who made those movies. Um, so the director of this is Jim McKay. If you like those types of films, definitely check this one out when you get a chance. I really enjoyed it. My number 10 is a horror film that I know you've seen. I don't know if it'll be on your list later, but if it is, maybe uh, you can just talk about it. I don't know how, how, if you, how you want to do that, but we'll figure it out. Whoever's first talks about it first. Sure, okay. Number 10, my mine is The Ritual. It is a horror film that appeared on Netflix, and I watched it on a plane... And it still scared me, if that tells you anything about it. I was watching it, and uh, I I had received so much raves uh, from filmmakers and critics that I was like, okay, I'll check that out. And it was just what I had available on a flight one day, and I threw it on, and I was really hooked. I really enjoyed the performance from Rafe Spall, which was nice because I hated him in Jurassic World, but I, you know, he has a good performance this year in this movie. Uh, the story is a group of college friends reunite for a trip to the forest but encounter a menacing presence in the woods that's stalking them. That's kind of vague. That's the IMDb uh, summary, but I, you know, it's about a group of friends, one who has just died, and they're paying respects to him on this hike that he wanted to go on, and it's very much a character-driven horror film, very much a beautiful looking film. I love the atmosphere. I love the mood and I really love the monster. I don't want to give anything away, but you know, that there is something in the movie and when you see it and it's revealed, I loved it. I love the design. I loved everything about it. And that's all I'll really say about it. But I think it's one of the best, most effective horror films of the year outside of another one that we're going to obviously mention later. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I know you're a big fan as well. I was, it was my number 11. I was going back and forth between those two, I had an inkling because I knew you really liked this movie, which uh, for you to really rave about a horror film, not to say it's rare that you're a hater, but obviously isn't as common as me. So I was hoping you would mention it. If not, I knew I'd bring it up in my honorable mentions. So nice. uh, Septimo D I wanted to give mention to because I feel like it's a complete unknown. But yeah, great choice. That that would definitely be, if any movie was going to sneak in my top 10 right now that isn't there, it would be The Ritual. I was also a big fan. And it's available. it's available on Netflix for anyone who wants to watch it. Yeah, it's an easy, easy, easy to see. What's your number nine? Um, number nine is the Mister Rogers documentary. Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? Well, I suppose it's an invitation. It's an invitation for somebody to be close to you. The greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. Won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor? Oh, I was going to go see it today, but I didn't. Oh, God, it's it, it'll make you feel great. It's so heartwarming. Everyone, I saw it in theaters, and everyone was crying happy tears, like really ugly happy tears at the end. Good. Um, you can just tell. Even some lady, right as the movie started, just shouted out from the back of the theater, I love you, Mr. Rogers, just as if he was still there. It's Yeah, That's it's nice. just a really wonderful, beautiful portrait of just an amazing guy. Like, just a guy who somehow devoted his career to just loving kids and 
never had a scandal or anything. Like he says all these things in the documentary that in today's climate, it can just come off as weird, but it's not because it's Mr. Rogers. He's just the biggest sweetheart uncle grandpa that we all that America needed. I don't know. It's just such a wonderful documentary about this amazing guy. It charts his career, you know, from the very early stages in Pennsylvania to becoming this national icon and then his return after 9-11 and after certain I had no idea about his failed adult attempt at making a show for older people, I think in the late 70s or early 80s or something like that, which is kind of morbidly fascinating to watch. Um, But yeah, if even honestly, I was not a big Mr. Rogers watcher. Like I didn't dislike him or anything. It just wasn't really in my worldview. My parents never really put it on for us as kids. So I watched him. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. A, I'm a fan. I, I, I didn't have a huge connection. So I can only imagine for people who grew up with him on their TV sets every day how much that this movie will mean to them. So as a non-Mr. Rogers kid, I loved it. And I can only assume it's even better if you were. So, yeah, go check out Won't You Be My Neighbor. It's a good one. I will see it this week. Cool. My number nine is Thoroughbreds, the debut oh, nice. film... Yeah, the debut film from a new filmmaker or playwright named Corey Finley. And the film stars in two of my favorite performances of the year, Anya Taylor-Joy, best known for The Witch. She's coming into something of a very special young actress, I think. She's pretty great. She's got so much charisma, and she's kind of, you know, she's going to blow up. She's kind of on her way up already. I think most people know about her in the industry at this point, but it's only a matter of time until she has some role where she just becomes a big star. And the other one who I was not familiar with was Olivia Cook, who she also appears in as the main kind of love interest in Ready Player One, but she's much better in this and given much more to do. And it's a very dark, I don't want to say art house, but it, you know, it's definitely a very indie thriller about these two uh, young teenage girls playing psychological games with each other. And it's about their friendship and the dynamics of, of their friendship. And it's about horses. And I'm going to mention multiple horses throughout this top 10 so get ready for that oh god yeah yeah there's a lot of horses on this top 10 for me so this is the first appearance of a horse film i love it i think everyone should check it out i think it's on you can pay for it on a lot of the streaming sites now like if you you can pay for it on demand or something but i definitely recommend it two of the best performances of the year very creepy very atmospheric and yeah one of the best movies experiences i had going this year yeah, I again another one that just missed would definitely be in my top fifteen for whatever reason it just missed the cut. But I was a big fan. You know I love Anya Taylor Joy. Olivia Cook was in Bates Motel, so I've been a fan of her for a few years. And we we talked about I think we use this film as an example, or maybe I did and you hadn't seen it yet, about this new era of films that kind of use their score. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that in the episode. Yeah, we did. like the way they use kind of naturalistic noises to create scores, which we will see again in another movie that I know is on both of our lists. Uh, my number eight is American Animals. This would be something dangerous and very exciting. This library is home to the most valuable book in the United States. Twelve million dollars. You really need to see how easy this is going to be. Oh, you know this from all your previous heists? This was a huge surprise I, I for still, me. I still have not seen it. Yeah. Not that I didn't think it looked good or anything, but 
the reviews were generally positive but not over the moon. The director of this, I'm blanking on his name, I'll pull it up, but he did a great documentary hybrid movie called The Imposter like six years ago maybe. Um, which oh, that's, is this, I didn't. I didn't realize it was the same guy. Yeah, this great mix of documentary and reenactment, and uh, highly recommend you check that out. Called the Imposter, Bart, Bart Layton. Bart Layton is his name. Yeah. So American Animals is based on the true story of four guys who um, basically attempt to rob the rare book room in the library of a college, and the movie uses a similar format to the Imposter, where they cut back and forth between the actors. Portraying the characters, uh, which include Evan Peters, Barry Kagan from uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. But they also interview the four guys who actually tried to pull off this heist. And they actually insert them into narrative and weird points. So it's a very creative, kind of clever, bold, like really in-your-face storytelling technique that I appreciated a lot. It's super funny. It's my favorite Evan Peters performance by far. I know he's most known for American Horror Story, which I've never been a fan of, but he's great in this. Barry Keegan, or Kogan, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but the Sacred Deer Kid is amazing the again. The scariest person working yeah. in cinema. Yeah. Him um, and Caleb Landry Jones just freak me out. Yeah, they got those faces, man. But yeah, this is a really entertaining movie. It's maybe slightly too long. That would be my one complaint. You could have shaved five or ten minutes off of it. But um, yeah, this was, in terms of expectation versus what i got this was definitely one of the biggest surprises of the year for me so highly recommend you check it out my number eight is the other horse film among several others the rider uh i won't say too much about this one only because i just mentioned it i think on the last episode or the one before it I was, it was one of my recommendations it is kind of similar to what you just said about american animals in that it's a hybrid of kind of documentary and real life people uh, telling their own story in a fictional way. Um, this is not uh, real people. This is not real people recreating actual events, but they got real people who live in the world of uh, horse riding and rodeo riding. Uh, the people who get kicked off of the stallions, kind of like bull riding, except with horses. And it follows people who actually live that life and has them as the actors in this story portraying this fictionalized family. And so it's really a very kind of slow, meditative, quiet drama. And, I, yeah, I can't recommend it enough. I think it's still leaving the art house theaters now, so I imagine it would be on video on demand soon. But it's got some really amazing performances. There's people in the movie who have permanently uh, maintained some body or brain damage or spinal cord damage. And they are portraying like people in rehab who can no longer like stand or do anything without a lot of help or... Uh, assistance and it's just a really you see the toll that that life takes on people you see like in you know in a way that real actor or the in the way that actors never could compare these real people who really have lived that life and can really especially when you see them looking at footage of themselves riding these horses it's incredible like you don't need special effects so it's a really very sensitive quiet movie i would highly recommend it to anyone who's in the mood for that kind of thing it's a really great modern western and kind of questioning of American masculinity and what it means to be a man. So yeah, huge recommendation for me. I'm a big fan of the writer. Yeah, it's uh, weird. That one left LA before it left Ohio. So I never got a chance to catch up with it. I'll, I'll watch it whenever it streams or I'll rent it soon, but I'm definitely excited. It it looks great. And it, I know it got amazing reviews. So Yeah, highly recommend. So 
this these lists have been weird so far because you've been naming the horror films and I haven't. So it's time I change uh, that. Is, is Thoroughbreds a horror movie? Is that what you're counting? I, I would call it a horror thriller. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Horror dark comedy, maybe. Yeah. As a quadriplegic, it must be frustrating for you, someone who likes to get things done with their hands. Here's the thing. Four guys murdered my wife. If I could find these men, I'd do it. What if I told you I could offer you something that would enable you to walk again? I call it STEM. A computer chip that has the potential to change everything. It's a new, better brain. Number seven for me is Upgrade, which is also borderline horror, more sci-fi for sure. This is Lee Whannell's first original directorial film, I think, uh, since Saw. You mean, you mean like that? He what do you mean by what do you, what do you mean by original? Like Insidious and, and stuff. Written and directed by Lee Whannell. I think it's his first project that he did that. Okay, uh, yeah, because I know I know he he directed Insidious three, didn't he? Yeah, but I mean based on in uh, pre existing property, which obviously he yeah, co created yeah, yeah. Saw and Insidious, and he deserves a lot of credit for that, but. This is basically his first movie that he's had a chance to make beyond those franchises, at least as a director. This is his second director credit. The first one was, yeah, Insidious Chapter 3. Basically, if you like, which I love, this movie's totally in my wheelhouse, but if you love hard 80s sci-fi kind of gory horror action movies, especially in the vein of something like RoboCop or Predator, then you'll dig you'll at the very least you will enjoy this movie it's super creative you can tell it was done on a low budget but it takes really good care in crafting the sets that it needs to craft there's this expansive futuristic house that looks great there's this you know self-driving car that is really clever and cool looking and it's just a great story it's it's something we've seen before you know man uh, gets in an accident, has a tragedy of some kind, and becomes part man, part machine, and then violence ensues. But it's just done in a really clever, extremely entertaining way. Like, my my only complaint of this movie is it does fall down a cheesy route occasionally um, with some dialogue. But for the most part, man, this was... One of the most fun times I've had in theaters in the last year or two. I I thought it was an absolute blast. Highly recommend it. Definitely going to be a Blu-ray buy. Something that I'll put on when I just want to laugh or like a good double feature with something from the 80s. It's it's just a, an awesome ride. And it gets me very pumped to follow the career of someone like Lee Winnell, who I think has kind of been forgotten. Um, probably because he hasn't really had a chance to direct much. But... Yeah, he's hugely influential for two of the biggest horror franchises since the 80s, basically. Or since Scream. He's probably... He co-created Saw and Insidious. I I mean, except for maybe Paranormal Activity. I don't know what franchise is bigger since Scream. So, excited to see now that that movie... It seems to have done well. Um, The reviews were mostly positive, kind of mixed. um, But the IMDb rating is super high, which to me tells me that it's going to have legs... It's going to have a following. Um, yeah. Upgrade, how, how, how similar is it to like the guest from a couple years ago? Uh, it's very similar in tone. It's a lot of fun. Like the guest. Cool. Definitely. cool. I, that's what it reminded me of. It, it looks like that or like universal soldier or something like that. Yeah. It's if you like the guest for sure, I think you'll enjoy this. I don't know cool. if you would put it on your top 10, but you'll definitely dig it. All right. My number seven 
is the family comedy wonder Paddington 2. Yeah. Yeah, love Paddington. We've talked about it several times already. I don't want to go too much into it, but this is a burst of joy. It is a candy-colored confetti of of happiness and joy and warmth and good messages and good vibes. It's very visually witty. It's visually beautiful. It has British a, a stacked cast of stacked cast of British actors doing some of their most laid back, relaxed, fun work. So if you, even if you just enjoy these actors, it's fun to watch them go and have fun and make, you know, I, I don't want to say cash in a paycheck because, but it seems like they're genuinely enjoying themselves on set. I don't know yeah. how else to describe it. And it's, it's good to watch them have fun. So Paddington two, it's one of the best times you can have at a theater. Uh, if you have a kid, the kid will love it. If you don't just, you know, watch it by yourself. I think you'll be surprised how enjoyable it is for everyone. And yeah, the other thing about Paddington is that my mom just got a dog and the dog, she adopted the dog from my brother's girlfriend and the dog's name is Paddington. Fuck yeah. I, well, no, I don't like this dog. Oh no. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a small little yapper and I, I, and I'm a dog guy, but I'm a big dog guy. I like, I like big, you know, like beasts that walk through rooms that you could ride like a fucking horse. That's, that's the kind of dog I like. And not that I don't like these small dogs, but it's a yelper. It's not. It's it's just not the kind of dog that I'm used to gr- growing up around in the house. And so, like all the bigger dogs are kind of wandering around, and he seems kind of just constantly afraid of being eaten by the bigger dogs. So there's a lot of yapping going on now, and I'm just like, shut up, Paddington! You're ruining the name Paddington because I have to keep telling you to shut the fuck up, Paddington. Damn. So that's my, just that's just my... call him Patty or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna call him like something else. Something like. Uh, fucking douche cake i don't know what i'm gonna call him slut queen yeah uh paddington we are not done with paddington this will show up oh i knew yeah if anything i'm surprised you're not like number seven go fuck yourself oh i am trust me okay well what's your number six big boy my number six is not yet paddington two that's in my top five number six is uh the endless another sci-fi horror movie justin benson and aaron moorhead the guys who did resolution and spring this is their third feature and i thought it was fantastic it's um about two brothers played by the directors who have left basically a ufo death cult and 10 years later they get this weird video in the mail from the cult saying like we're ready to we're ready to do what we're gonna do so we're just saying goodbye to you guys and the one brother who kind of regrets leaving convinces the other brother to go back for a night and just say hi to people, um, 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 catch up with the phone death before they pass on. And when they get there, they realize they can't find anyone who's taking credit for sending them the video. And then shit starts to get weird, and then shit starts to get weirder, and they end up spending more than a night there. And I won't spoil anything else because in typical fashion of these guys, the movie, the three movies that they've made, they never really go in the direction you expect them to go. They're super clever. They write their own scripts. They pretty much make these movies themselves. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're really talented guys. They, um, their acting performances are, are good, not great, I guess, but super believable for what they have to do. And yeah, they're just, they're very heady, interesting genre filmmakers. And I would recommend watching all three of their movies 
because uh, this one ties in to one of their earlier ones in particular. But they, they all have these running themes of kind of men dissatisfied with their lot in life and looking for something more or something better or way out. And they just bring this genre element into all of these stories that, that just elevates the story in a very interesting way for me, at least as a genre fan. So that's my number six. Awesome. My number six is my final horse movie. It is called Lean on Pete, and it is a film from the director Andrew High or Hay. Uh, he is a filmmaker who made the movies 45 Years, which fucking devastates me. And he also is behind uh, Weekend, a film that is very good, came out a few years ago, and Criterion even released it uh, somewhat recently, a couple years ago. And so he's had a ton of acclaim, and he was behind HBO's Looking series, and I based on the trailer, really had no interest in this movie because the trailer kind of sells it like warm acoustic guitars and country music and kind of sells it as this young boy falling in love with a horse movie. And obviously the, the plot of the movie is about a boy and his relationship with this horse. But I think saying that is a very kind of misrepresentation of what the movie actually is like it's not a cheesy relationship at all there's no moment where the boy is like looking into the eyes of the horse and it seems like they're having some like mental connection where he's like i know what you're thinking boy you know like there's none of that type of shit in the movie it's very like matter of fact very straightforward and it's very 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 political and i'm not sure i was ready for that element of it but andrew hi he's a uh i want to say australian filmmaker uh let me look it up really quick uh, no, he's English. He was born in uh, North New Yorkshire. He's English. I knew he wasn't American, but it's always interesting when a Brit comes over and, uh, or somebody else from a foreign country comes over to tell a story that is essentially about America because you get a unique perspective from someone who is not from the country. And sometimes that can be awkward and strange, like three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, like where that world doesn't feel like it takes place in America. It seems like this weird version of America. Or occasionally you get something like this, which seems so on point and so accurate that you're. it's like, how did this guy know? And the story, I don't want to spoil too much uh, for anybody or for you because I know you haven't seen it yet. But the story is essentially about the this teenager who gets a job. The IMDb summary is a teenager gets a job working for a horse trainer and befriends the fading racehorse Lean on Pete. And I think, not to go too much into it, but a lot of what this kid learns is about about the way we use things up in this country and throw them away when we don't need them anymore. And I think that's a hard lesson that he has to learn throughout the movie is all, this is also a story about masculinity, similar to the writer, but it's also about this kid seeing these horses and the way they're put down or the way they're treated when they don't perform or the different like routes they have to go on. And it's about him like learning what it means to get along in America, essentially as he's growing up and like learning as he's taking on these small jobs and traveling the country. And it really just fucking devastated me. Absolutely devastated me. By the end of the movie, I was so upset. I just had to leave the theater almost because I needed a break because I was like, this movie's just so upsetting. It's one of those movies where you're like, Oh, everything's going to be okay. Everything's working out. And then suddenly you're like, oh, no, it's getting worse. Oh, fuck, no, it's getting worse. Oh, and then you're upset. And it's like, okay, things are getting better. Thank God. He's finally going to catch a break. And then you're like, no, no. And it's, it's the whole movie. But I would highly recommend it. It's a very depressing time, but a powerful movie nonetheless. And ignore the trailer. The tra- Yeah. That's all I was going to say. Yeah, I remember when 
No, I was just going to say, I remember after you saw this movie, you used that same descriptor that it's a movie about the way we use things up and spit them out. And that just like my heart, like I think my heart just skipped a beat in pain because I was like, oh, God, that that just sounds like something that would really hurt to watch. And I'm with you, man. It's I saw the trailer and then I saw the director. I'm like, wait, it's Andrew Haig, the guy who did 45 years. What what is he doing? This it it almost looked like an, one of those. This movie is so far from like Sea Biscuit, you know, like it's nothing like that. Yeah, but it all it also had a weird, almost like not that it was going for a new age Christian movie vibe, which we see in theaters all the time, but something on that level, at least of quality, almost in the yeah. trailer. And, I mean, you're obviously not alone. It's a very well-received movie. I'm super excited to watch this. Fuck, it, I was just going to say that it reminded me, your description reminded me of a particular movie. For, uh, for I, me, it's very much in the way that he sees America. It reminded me, for me, it's this year's American Honey. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, like, in the way that, you know, like, she has this job and she goes throughout the country and you kind of, like, get this portrait of this, like, in, entire worldview of the country, these different segments of it. And it reminded me a lot of that. And I think it's good what you're saying about an outsider, you know, making a uniquely American story. Same thing. Same thing with American Honey, Andrew Arnold. Right. And I think that's generally a good thing. It reminds me of like, you know, we shot that movie and we immediately went into post-production. Now we're editing it. And I feel like what you really need is a break from it all. Like you need to be able to appreciate something as objectively as possible like if you were an Englishman coming to America to tell a story about America, it's to have that removal yeah, and then be able to see it with these fresh set of eyes with no prejudgments. You can really come in and tell the story from the perspective of someone who is an observer and just really trying to observe it as objectively as possible. Yeah. So I'm, I'm always fascinated by those stories of outsiders coming in and telling American stories. I think that's great. And American Honey was absolutely in my top ten, maybe my top five the year it came out. I, that movie is a masterpiece. Lean on Pete, I feel like, is going to be somewhere up on my list. You'll, you'll like it. You'll like it. it. Yeah. Maybe I'll do a horse marathon. Yeah, you watch all my horse movies that I've been recommending. No, not over your neck. Drape the rope over your shoulder. That's right. All right. Come on. It's okay. It's okay. Slow down. Uh, you remember what I told you yesterday? Yep. Hook him up before you take the rope off, because he'll run on you. Good. Yeah, that's right. Come on. Let's go. See that Bob? This kid's a natural. Yeah. He's a good kid. And he ain't afraid of a hard day's work like some of these other kids. <laughs> Come on, Pete. It's all right. Just relax your arm. You're walking. <laughs> I know. I know. You're just excited. You did real good. Come on, Pete. You got it. <laughs> Just happy. Here you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. Stay ahead of him. After me. You singing a song? I'm going to do Lean on Pete, The Rider, I'll rewatch Thoroughbreds, and then I'll watch, um, what's that that documentary? Is it Zoo about the people who like to fuck horses and the guy who died? Zoo, a love story, yeah. Yeah, Zoo, a love story. Uh, people, Google Zoo documentary if you want to learn about a fucked up Do you remember movie. the poster? Right. Do you remember the poster? Of course I do. Yeah. Yeah, the horse with the eye? Yeah, the eye. God, just tempting you with that look. Like, come over here and let me put my giant horse cock up your ass. Yeah. 
All right, so this we're we're now into our number five. We have not repeated yet, although we will for sure with Paddington too. So if we were the old school Oscars, these would be our respective nominees for Best Picture of the first half of 2018. And I feel like it's going to be almost the same top five, but we'll see. Number five for me, Incredibles two. My number eleven. Oh, it didn't make your top ten. I honestly, there, there. I think it would. The only reason it didn't was because I was kind of like, I know we're going to talk a lot about it next week. I think. And I didn't, you know, like I didn't want to blow everything. That's a garbage reason. And That's I also like, reason. I was like, because I had the ritual in there at number ten. I was like, I was like, normally I think if I'm being honest, I okay. would swap these, but I wanted to talk about the ritual because it's a smaller movie. Cool. So I respect that. Yeah. I respect that. For horror, I give it, I give you credit. Yeah. Um, Incredibles two, man. It's maybe it'll drop a little bit. You know, this is still the most recent movie I've seen on this list. But what a fucking blast! Hell yeah, Incredibles two is. It is. I, I don't know if. It has the depth of the first movie, maybe not, but I think it's a a much more adult story, at least in terms of the villain that they're dealing with. And it plays off, we both had the same reaction, it, it plays off like a Bond movie in a lot of ways, as much as a superhero movie, yeah. which to us is like candy. Uh, we're both big James Bond fans. This movie is just so, 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 so fun. I don't know what else to say about it other than... If you liked the first Incredibles as much as I did, and you were wondering, can I, a 30-something-year-old person, go and enjoy the sequel a decade and a half later? Absolutely you can. Just go at night so you're not dealing with crying kids. But, yeah, go have fun with this movie. It is such a fucking blast. It's just so much fun. That's all I want to say. I agree. Yeah, we're going to talk. I think we're going to do a full review of it. Because um, I actually disagree with several things you just said, but I don't want to go too much into it. We'll we'll talk about it next week, <laughs> baby. Okay, we'll talk about it. Number five, Incredibles two. I, I will just say like I don't agree with you about the villain stuff. That's all I'll say. That's my little preview. Okay. Uh, okay. Otherwise, my number five. We talked about it yesterday, and I'm having conflicting feelings about it, but I'm sticking with it as number five. I think I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna stand firm on it. Number five, first reformed. Paul Schrader's first reformed. The uh, okay. I really love this movie. I, I'm I know I'm a bit of a sucker for movies about religion. I was raised as Tom was. I was raised in religion, and I went to Catholic school for the first thirteen years of my not of schooling in my life. And I was raised around religion, and I've always had a large fascination with people's relationship to God. I have a fascination with the Bible, with theology. All that stuff really interests me. And even though I'm not a religious person necessarily, I am extremely fascinated by religion as a concept. So any movie that's really dealing with a struggle of faith, the storyline is about what it, what is the role of faith in our modern world. All that stuff really fascinates me. I'm a big fan of Ethan Hawke as an actor generally these days. I think he's in a really interesting point in his career with his face and stuff, especially because Shell was watching his face. Yeah. Well, you know, he's getting to that age where he's like, you know, getting wrinkles and stuff. And I think he's getting interesting because he's had such a young face for so long. And, and yeah, like Shell was watching reality bites yesterday when I came home and I was just looking at him. I was like, man, he has changed so much over the years, but I think he's a really, really interesting, underrated actor in a lot of ways. I, I love how I know how engaged he is intellectually with material like this. So that's always kind of excited me about him as an actor is I know that he's really thinking about everything he's saying and he's really thinking about the script and he's a really smart individual. So I've always liked Ethan Hawke. And 
the story, which w- you and I were discussing, the problems I've been having with it is it's the story the, uh, to do IMDb. A priest of a small congregation in upstate New York grapples with mounting despair brought on by tragedy, worldly concerns, and a tormented past. And the story itself is a amalgamation of several films, uh, Winter Light by Bergman, Brisson's Diary of a Country Priest. There's a little bit of, uh, I think, Taxi Driver in here from Paul Schrader, who wrote that as well. There's uh, some Wise Blood, the Flannery O'Connor story that was made by John Houston into a film. A wonderful film. Leon Morin, Priest, the Melville. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of just Priest stuff in here. And I think... You know, it, the movie, especially, it, it, Paul Schrader hasn't denied any of this, but there's a huge, huge chunks of the plot are taken directly from these other films. And it is literally almost like a, a hodgepodge of these movies. And the qu- questions I had for you was really about, like, at what point are we, like, allowing this to just be like, hey, you're just stealing these ideas? And at what point or is it just about the experience? Because my experience of watching First Reformed was very moving and I was very engaged and intellectually engaged and I thought about it for a long time after I left the theater. It was a great experience. It's only, re-watch, like I rewatched Winter Light yesterday and that was when I was kind of like, man, that he really stole a lot from there. And it, So you just, not to cut Phil off, yeah, but you did watch Winter Light yeah. and can you describe you just described the plot to First Reform can you describe briefly the plot to Winter Light it's a, a small priest it's a priest in a small congregation who grapples with mounting despair brought on by tragedy worldly concerns and a tormented past uh, yeah. and without spoiling it is the tragedy the same tragedy that happens in First Reformed it's the exact same tragedy there's like the characters who he's talking to in his congregation are like one of them is a doting woman who uh, wants to marry him and uh kind of help him, you know, romantically. That is in both films. There's a young bride who wants him to talk to her sad husband. In Winter Light, the husband is in despair about the atomic age and the bomb. And in First Reformed, it's uh, global warming. So, like, it's little details like that they switch, but uh, everything else is the exact same. That, and, that, that's not a switch of a detail. That's just time changing. Yeah, yeah, that, well, that's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even a detail switch. Yeah. Like, if the guy now, if the guy in First Reform was like, yeah, I'm just really concerned about the atomic age, it's like, really? All right. Well, I mean, I think we've all kind of been dealing with that for 75 years, but whatever, man. Yeah, well, it's, it's growing concern, obviously, uh, especially with sure. Russia these days. And uh, in North Carolina. No, Russia. Uh, the, uh, all right. So, but anyways, that's a whole other conversation. I, I don't know that we have time to get into it, but that, that is a movie yeah, that... Yeah, we should, we should have a pot about that, though. Yeah, it's... Because there are people we can talk about. This would be a good example. Yeah, but uh, regardless, uh, I think, one, you, have had, you would have had to have a pretty thorough knowledge of a certain segment of film history to really be bothered by these things. I happen to really enjoy sad priest movies, so this stuff is right up my alley, and I was kind of familiar with the references that Paul Schrader was making throughout. But it's still a strong film. One of the most interesting, I think, intellectual things that you can experience this year in cinemas, and I really found it quite moving by the end. It's a strange movie, though. I will grant people... I'll tell people now, this is a slow, strange movie. I wasn't aware that I had offended. Jesus doesn't want our suffering. He suffered for us. Mm -hmm. He wants our commitment and our obedience. Mm -hmm. And what of his creation? The heavens declare the glory of God. God is present everywhere in every plant, every river, every tiny insect. The whole world is a manifestation of his holy presence. I think this is an issue where where the church can lead, but but they say nothing. the U.S. Congress still denies climate change? 
Where were we when these people were elected? So people who listen to the show know I grade movies very differently depending on what their aims are. First Reforms had very lofty aims, so I'm definitely way more harsh on it. Compared to something like Upgrade. Yes. So I, I, I acknowledge that as a preface. And I will say overall that I did like the movie. It has a great ending. The conversation between the priest and the husband is fantastic. One of my favorite scenes really of the year. Great, yeah. It's a really great scene. It's a really great, long, dialogue-driven scene in the vein of, like, the scene in Steve McQueen's Hunger, the priest scene with the prisoner, something like that. Like, it's a really standout piece of uh, writing. Yeah. But it... I don't know, man. The movie felt pretty flat to me. Like, it, it reminded me of all of these 1960s foreign art house films, which are great, you know, the titles of which we already said. But the idea of like, oh, I'm this priest and I'm just struggling. And I'm just struggling to do good in this world. It's just, I don't know, man. It's kind of played out without a new angle. And based off everything we just talked about, he did the opposite of a new angle on this story. He just borrowed from past stories when these concerns uh, felt new in this art form, you know? Yeah. Like, to me, that's that's my problem with it, is it just feels like a retread of better movies that I've seen prior. Yeah, and I suppose, like I said, some of this might be based on your own familiarity with those films, because, like I said, this is well-worn ground, and I was really interested in it, and it remind I would love to screen this alongside something like Silence. I think I told you my ideal would be I'd love to screen The Last Temptation of Christ, which was written by Schrader and directed by Scorsese, and then I'd love to show Silence, directed by Scorsese later in life, and then First Reform, directed by Schrader later in life, and kind of explore how these guys have, throughout their career, been wrestling with faith. Like the stuff like that, just really. So you want to show two really, really, really great movies, and then first reformed? Oh come on! You know, like, <laughs> you know. Sorry. All right. But I will say this is another. We should bring it up anytime we get a chance. Silence was totally slept on. Go watch Silence. It's a modern day masterpiece from Scorsese and a super unique take on religious themes in a movie yeah tackling and similar things with, with a whole different yeah. story compared to something like this which is really just a recreation of past stories all right so moving moving on we gotta get moving we're we're gonna have a long episode moving on uh this is where the repeats are gonna begin i know this is in your top four i guess we can discuss it now together if you want yeah yeah i honestly feel bad putting it this low um I should say these. Are, this is now we get into the point where I'd be shocked if any of the next four movies leave my top ten at the end of the year. Yeah, Incredibles two is kind of the cutoff. So number four for me is You Were Never Really Here. Okay, it's oh God, it's so good. I agree. I agree so much. It's so good. Yeah, we discussed it a little bit in a previous episode, right? Yeah, I, I where I announced the same thing. I think that I'm going to say now, which is it's my number one of the year. So. My right. yeah, so I'll just say where if if we overlap, I'll just say where it's at on mine. It's my number one of the year. Okay. It's your number four, and I I mean we can rush through these because I feel like the next four we, we've all yeah we've talked, talked about. about it. So yeah, this yeah. one is Joaquin Phoenix. Or you 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 talk about it. You brought it up. Joaquin Phoenix uh, basically plays a cross between a hitman, but more so he's a guy who goes out and rescues people who have been enslaved in sex trade operations. And he gets a job. Uh, I believe it's a senator's daughter has, yeah. been kid- right? has been kidnapped. 
and they think she's being uh, traded around in a black sex ring, and he sets off to find her. And that's what the movie's about. It's way better than that plot. Um, It's so surreal and abstract and tense, and the performances are incredible. The music is so good. This is the other film I mentioned when we were talking about Thoroughbreds and the use of almost like didactic noises to help create your score. It's directed by Lynn Shelton. It's only, I think, her fourth movie. We're doing a Lynn Shelton episode. I think when this... Lynn, Ram- Lynn hits, Ramsey, before you get to Lynn Ramsey, I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, we're doing a Lynn Ramsey episode at some point because she's a super interesting filmmaker that we just have to talk about more because she she directs films so rarely, I feel like she gets forgotten. But Yeah, we, she directed four films in the last 19 years. Yeah, I mean, we need to talk about Kevin along with Elephant or the defining movies about our modern day school shooting epidemic in my opinion i mean nothing even approaches those except for uh oh man i'm blanking on this french film oh god the fuck is it called there's a third movie i'm blanking on that hopefully i can pull up and remember if i can remember the director it's fine the last movie that she did was seven years ago it's one of the defining school shooting films we need to talk about kevin Super interesting. I just read the book, actually. Yeah, good. yeah. Yeah, You Were Never Really Here is just an artistic masterpiece, man. It's uh, on a, on any given day, I feel like my top four could vary in number, maybe. But right now, unfortunately, it's just sitting at number four. But if it leaves my top ten, that means we're in an all-time great year. Yeah. In my opinion. The, the way the like, movie... This movie's a flat-out A. Yeah, you, you described the plot and, and described it as a very simple plot. And I think the movie uses those very bare-bones... The movie's not concerned at all about plot twists or about really a whole lot of development of anything. The plot's not concerned with surprising you. It's more about just giving a bare-bones structure so that you can follow Joaquin Phoenix as this character around. He's just named Joe. You know, you don't know much about him besides he takes care of his mother, and he goes to find these girls and attacks men. And we know that he has a very violent past in terms of he's a war veteran, and a lot of the movie deals with his post-traumatic stress, and it's about our, his relationship to violence at this point in his life. And it's just an incredible film. It reminds me of something like La Samurai, where it's also using a very stripped-down narrative to be more about the style and character. And, yeah, it's it's in that vein of films. It's like part Taxi Driver, part La Samurai, part Revenge B-movie, part Art House Thriller. Like, it's just, it's great. I love it. It's my favorite film of the year. Uh, Johnny Greenwood, who's an amazing composer. I'm obsessed with him, obviously, because of Paul Thomas Anderson. He did the score, and it has some of my favorite tracks of the year on it, um, including Sandy's Necklace, which I cannot recommend enough as a song. Yeah, it's just my favorite film of the year. I love it. Like you said, all these other movies could kind of probably be any other year, be my number one, and I'll be happy if these are all on my list. So this is this is a great year so far. Yeah. I don't know how you'll want to edit this, if at all, but I mentioned we need to talk about Kevin and Elephant as two of the three defining school shooting films. The third one is Polytechnique, the Denis Villeneuve film from 2009. 
I have not I seen that. Remembered I have, it. Yeah. Yes. Worth watching, especially now that he has blossomed into this fantastic mainstream director. Cool. Um, anyway, your number four, Phil. My number four is the superhero smash sensation Black Panther. The Ooh, baby. yeah, we didn't. Uh, this came out slightly before we started posting episodes, so we never did a full review of it. But we've mentioned it multiple times. It was mentioned in our wrap up or our summary of the year so far episode when we fir- our first episode, and it's just an incredible achievement. I'm. I've kind of wavered on my I've gone up and down on my Marvel fandom over the years, but this one I loved Coogler's Fruitvale Station. I loved Creed way more than I was ever expecting to, so that got me really excited for Black Panther. Plus you just started to see images and hear things and it just all sounded like everything was really coming together. So I I saw it and it was such a unique vision, such smart scripting it also kind of had a bond movie vibe in the middle there it turns into a little bit of a bond movie which i loved and it just had great it had everything it had a great villain a smart script it was it it did have some it does have fallen to some marvel tropes which you know are kind of understandable it still has to kind of fit into that marvel package but i think outside of some of those restrictions it really just really is an amazing piece of work yeah marvel's on kind of a tear right now their last three movies i think well actually thor ragnarok was in between but spider-man black panther and avengers are maybe my top three marvels right now you know i feel like i'm maybe doing black panther disservice by not having it in my top 10 yeah um but i think part of it is because i was so pleasantly surprised by the avengers that i like lost track of what i thought in regards to other movies true i'm like wait i really enjoyed this one too does that just mean these are both just, you know, exceptional Marvel films. Or I, I don't know. I need to go rewatch Black Panther later in the year and figure out exactly where I stand. But it would be, as of right now, just right outside my top 10 and the top 15, yeah. along with Infinity War, actually. Interesting. I, th- I yeah. thought for sure it'd be there. So w- what made the cut then? Number three, Paddington. Oh, f- oh, yeah, duh. Duh. And you obviously know where my top 10 I know the other two are, um, yeah. Yeah, Paddington 2. It's fucking great. Go see it. What's your number three, Phil? My number three is Hereditary. Yeah, baby. We did a whole episode about this one. We did a whole episode of it where I had to cut us off because I realized that if I did not do that, we would have talked for another hour about it. We love this movie. We think it's one of the best horror movies probably of the la- of the decade. Certainly, yep. certainly going to be talked about as we make our way through the year. I do not imagine it not making our lists, our final top tens. It's an incredible film. I've seen it twice. I'm sure you're going to see it many more times. And it's, yeah, go listen to our last episode if you want to hear more about it. We've talked so much about it already. But we both think it's fucking incredible. Yep. The only reason I haven't seen it a second time yet is because I'm trying to convince my co-writer, who's a scaredy cat, to go with me. And Hereditary is my number two. It is top five horror of the decade for sure. A list that I would love to discuss at another date. October, baby. That's an October episode. October. My yeah, number two is Annihilation, which is my number one. Yeah, and that completes a list. That's a, we also we also discussed Annihilation, right? Did we no, we, we never. We, no, we never did a full Annihilation episode. That was all part of our summary, summing up the year so far. Already, uh, we never did a full episode. Well, that is also my number one. That's one I have seen twice. I thought it got better the second time around. I don't know if did you see it a second time? Uh, no, I did not get a chance to see Annihilation a second. You should. It's I, yeah, I, it's going to be on video. I think it is on video already, or it's at least on demand. I believe it. It should be soon. I will definitely be rewatching it before the year is out. It's uh, I've I, it's a movie I've recommended to a number of people, 
And uh, I've had a good number of friends come back to me and say they really loved it. So I think this is a movie that will have its fans years from now. I know it didn't do that great at the box office. It did okay. But it should have done better. I think it should have been this year's arrival in terms of being a hit. It should have gotten some awards love. But wasn't to be. And I think it's better suited as almost like a midnight movie cult classic. A very smart midnight movie. Yeah, like something like 2001, you know, which will play occasionally in New York, or obviously it's having that theatrical run now because of the anniversary, but it's a movie like that that people are going to want to revisit and revisit, in my opinion. Yeah. The um, So, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, it's it's maybe slightly too pulpy for some of the people with higher brow taste, like who are much more to the Tarkovsky stalker end of things, you know? Yeah, but intellectually, if you think it's not giving you those interests as well then you're a fool you're the biggest snob i've ever met and i don't want to know you yeah and you're not even a snob in the right way because you are you're you're missing something so based off of an aggregate score our collective top five number one would be annihilation number two would be hereditary number three would be you were never really here number four would be paddington two and number five would either be The Incredibles 2 or Black Panther. Hmm. Very there nice. We go. I'm, I'm, I'm good with I, that list. I love that top five. I'm, that's, it's a strong year so far. So yeah. what, what else is coming up this year that you think, because, you know, there's going to be a lot of movies that, you know, are going to change this list around. The list is going to take some hits as the bigger movies at the end of the year come out. What are some that you think could come out that might be uh, in competition. Anything you know of? Um, I'm really excited for 8th Grade coming out. I'm very excited. Uh, I'm super excited for Mission Impossible. I'm a giant fucking Mission Impossible fan. I can't wait for that. Yep. Yep. Are are you excited for The Meg? I'm very excited for The Meg. That seems right up your alley. Uh, I mean, I don't know know if it's going to make a list, but I'm very excited for it. I'm I'm super. I'm a huge Spike Lee fan, so I'm very excited for Black Klansman. Yep, that's definitely high up there for me. The Little Mermaid's coming out this year. What the fuck is that going to be? I don't know. Is that... Who's in that? I don't know. Gina Gershon. I don't know. That can't, that can't be a real thing. This isn't like getting a major release, is it? I'm looking at like upcoming movies, and I'm just seeing that. Um, I, I, the Happy Time Murders. I'm very excited for The Happy Time Murders. Um, Slender Man, you're going to get another horror movie. Yeah. The Nun, you're going to get another horror movie. Is that coming out this year? The Nun, yeah, it comes out September 7th. I'm looking at everything. The Predator is coming out. Um, Hell yeah, Shane Black, bring it to me, baby. Mandy, he had another horror movie. Jesus, there's always so many fucking horror movies every fucking year. The House with a Clock. How are you mad about Mandy? I'm not mad about... Dude, that's Nicolas Cage in full insanity mode. That's going to be great. All right, well, we already had Mom and Dad this year, which was already a disappointment, so I'm not going to... Yeah, so they need to make it up with Man. Yeah, so yeah. So hopefully we get at least one good um, Nicolas Cage in chaotic mode. Uh, I'm very excited for The Old Man and the Gun, uh, the m- new movie with Paul... Uh, sorry, Paul. With Robert Redford and Sissy Spacek and Casey Affleck. David Avery made that, the guy who made Ghost Story and all that. So I'm very excited to see that. That was shot in Dayton as well. So that helps. Um, end of the year. Oh, October. We got some Halloween coming up for you. We got we got First Man. We got Beautiful Boy. Goosebumps 2. We got a lot coming out. Yeah, we have Sorry to Bother You coming out next week along with the first Purge. You get, uh, we have the Suspiria remix. Yeah, you guys gonna say you just I was just looking at that. You get you get some horror. You get you're gonna get some chunks 
You're gonna pair up the girls, the girl in the spider's web. Oh, we have Widows, the Steve McQueen film. We have Creed Two. We have that crazy ass looking Robin Hood movie. Oh God, I laugh every single time I see that fucking trailer. It follows his David Robert. What's his name? David Robert Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. Is that right? Uh, his follow-up, Under the Silver Wake, Lake, is slated for December, as is Aquaman and Bumblebee, which we talked about. Yeah. Um, and then there's a movie called Cold War. Ooh, oh, do you don't you don't know about Cold War? Pavel Pavlikowski, the director of Vita. Oh, go watch that trailer. It looks like pure fucking. Not, I don't watch trailers. I know, but it looks like sex. It just also. It's got a 91 Metacritic. And by the way, Mandy has a fucking 82. So you shut your face. I'm not, I didn't say that I wasn't excited for Mandy. I was rolling my eyes at the fact that there's fucking 20 major horror movies every year. And I just can't get a single fucking Western. I just want a Western. Although, I, wait, I get, a Coen, I get Coen Brothers Western this year at some point on Netflix. So that'll be good. Is that coming out in 2018? I believe so. They started making it last year. so And they don't usually take their time. So... I don't know. Well, you know that any Cohen is my most anticipated. Yeah. Oh, you also get bad times at El Royale from uh, Mr. Cabin in the Woods himself, Drew Goddard. Yeah, we almost uh, mixed that movie. Oh, that, that worked. Yeah, too bad. Did you get Venom instead? No, we are doing. Um, well, we're doing House with a Clock in Its Walls for a while, and then I think our next one. What is that Tom Hanks movie coming out? called greyhound i didn't know a he navy was... officer commands the greyhound during world war ii tom hanks is in like a i don't know if you've like picked up on this but at some point in his career late in the game tom hanks has decided to be cast frequently as somebody who's just good at their job like uh if, yeah, you, if every man yeah like literally or in every movie of the last like decade he's just been what a, all right the post he's just a damn good editor uh, the Circle. I don't know if he's a damn good uh, entrepreneur. He's Steve Jobs. He's Steve Jobs. <laughs> Not really. Yeah, yeah. He's Steve Jobs and uh, Sully. He's a damn good captain. In uh, Hologram for King, he's uh, a hologram because no one saw that movie. He's in Br- Bridge of Spies, um, where he's a damn good lawyer. He's in Saving Mr. Banks, where he's a damn good businessman. He's in Captain Phillips, where he's a damn good captain. You know, he's just like he's just been in this like. Captain. I think he's more interested in true stories, yeah. telling historical stories. Yeah, whatever the reason. Okay, I don't know. Um, but yeah, this is directed by Aaron Schneider, who did Get Low, the Robert Duvall throwing his own funeral movie, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, I enjoyed it, and then um, as soon as it was over, I forgot about it. Yeah, I guess that's fair, but it was it was definitely a good one. And this is his first movie since then. Uh, I think Greyhound is due for like a next spring release. Um, so we'll be mixing that soon. Yeah. Uh, again with Gary Getzman, Mamma Mia in the Circle, and um, that HBO thing we did, which I'm blanking on suddenly, and I apologize. You know, I, I'm trying to think. There, there is. I've already lost my list. Unfortunately, I was going to say there was something else coming out at the end of the year that I really wanted to talk about, but I'm kind of blanking on it. So I don't know. Yeah. Halloween and the Suspiria remake. Bring it up. That's what you're about. All right. So that is the year of 2018 so far. I can't wait for the rest of the year. I think we're going to call it a wrap for this week on the episode, Tom. So do you have anything else you want to say about this year so far? Any trends you've noticed? Any any statements you want to make about what you're looking forward to in 2018? Anything like that? Anything crazy? The, the, um, the horror boom is real. We're in the new golden age of horror, and we have been for a few years now. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really wonderful to see. And I think studios are getting smarter about 
picking great directors for tentpole projects, like we saw with Ryan Coogler and Black Panther, and like with Ryan Johnson last year in The Last Jedi, where studios are getting smarter. Obviously, there's this big disparity between these smaller movies like The Ritual and Thoroughbreds and Upgrade and The Endless, which are great, and then the giant Black Panthers, Infinity Wars of the world. Yeah, I don't know. Movies, there's always, we've talked about it pretty much every year we do a top 10 list. Whenever people say it was a bad year for movies, it's never true. Like, you can always find a good top 10 that you really like. Yeah, some some years you year, have to search a little harder. It. You might have to dig a little bit, but there's always stuff out there to find. There's There are always good movies out there, so you just got to find them. And that's why we did this list. So you noobs who don't go to the theater because you have lives can just listen to what we say and then uh, go rent some movies. Yeah. And if you want to hear about what we'll say about, I think we're going to talk Jurassic World and Incredibles 2 next week. We are. Yeah. So you'll get, we'll get more in depth on those because I think, I think we're going to disagree on some stuff. So I'm excited. Well, I know we've both seen Incredibles 2 and we have a disagreement coming, which I'm excited about. You've seen Jurassic World. I have a sense of what you think of it. I have strong feelings. I am going to see Jurassic World in two hours. So I'm excited for it. It is is uh, cheesy cheesy and it is, it is, people have said it is fun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I can't wait for this episode. So I don't know if Phil cut it out or not, but we were going to discuss the year in movies 1998. We're going to hold that for a part two at some point later this yeah, we're year. Yeah, talk, we're talking too long. Um, we talk too we can long. basically do it anytime. Yeah, we can do it anytime in 2018, as long as we get it in the calendar year. Because, like Phil said, 99 was really the year that shaped us as film fanatics um, for reasons we can talk about at another time. But So 1998 was really that bridge between our, our childhood films and becoming more serious uh, film nerds, even though we were only 13 and 12, respectively. But it's going to be a good list. There's going to be a lot of conversation on that list. Yeah, a lot of talk, talk about, about like stuff that made us masturbate, I think. Wild, Wild things. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wild things. And the, uh, the forgotten teen classics that are movies like The Faculty and Can't Hardly Wait. Jennifer Love Hewitt, sex star, one of my biggest crushes back then. We'll talk about that. She also was in I Still Know What You Did Last Summer that year. Oh, yeah. What, what, yeah. You know they're planning to reboot I Know What You Did Last Summer? That doesn't surprise me. That's just weird. So, I mean, if Scream can be a TV show, then I believe anything. <sighs> yeah, I guess that's true. I watched every episode. You watched episode every episode. Yeah, watched yeah, yeah. Every yeah, episode say, of that. Yeah. Rewatched Scream 4 recently, too. It's still good. You... Everyone says that Screams 4 is some great film that I should check out and give a chance. I wouldn't call it great, but I would put it in the clear third spot above Scream 3. Okay. Okay. All right. So, Tom, wrapping up, do you have any recommendations that anyone should check out? Anything anyone should be reading, writing, looking into that you think so? Um, I, I, will... I just, that sucked. I, I really, that was a really shitty introduction. I'm sorry. Do it again. Hey, Tom, is there any, uh, no, I'm done. Go. (laughs) All right. That's all it's to say. Uh, I will say since I did that, um, that Shaw brothers thing Friday night at the Egyptian, I will say if you guys haven't watched any Shaw brothers films, go check them out. They were fantastic in the seventies and eighties. They made amazing Kung Fu movies like eight diagram pole fighter, five deadly venoms, 36 chambers, 
Um, and then some really weird horror movies if you can find them, especially The Boxer's Omen and Human Lanterns. But yeah, just Google The Shaw Brothers. Maybe Google like Top 10 Shaw Brothers movies, S-H-A-W. If you want to watch really awesome kung fu action movies that inspired shit like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, go check them out. Awesome. Well, you know, that's weird that you say that because my recommendation was going to be Ang Lee films. Speaking of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh, nice. Because... Yeah, because I am, I guess this is a side recommendation. My, like, favorite podcast right now is Blank Check. It's a great podcast if you're into movies and really like directors like Tom and I do. They basically go through directors' filmographies and spend, like, two hours on each film and talk about the plot, the actors, what's aged well and what hasn't. And they kind of just, you know, break down the movies. And they're they're big big fans like we are and they're very they're not snobs and i really appreciate that but their new series that they're just starting is on ang lee films and i just watched the wedding banquet last night which i would definitely recommend if you have a chance to watch that and crouching tiger hidden dragon i think is a masterpiece ice storm is a masterpiece it was just he's one of those directors who i don't think is often mentioned as one of the great working directors but who when you look at his filmography it's staggering in a way so i would recommend to go check out the wedding banquet, wedding banquet, or any other Ang Lee movie, like the Ice Storm, is on Criterion. Taking Woodstock, Taking Woodstock is a Tom Bond recommendation. Uh, Brokeback Mountain, I think, removed from all the hubbub about it at the release time, I think is still just an incredible piece yep, of work. Still great. I think I can't wait to revisit Hulk and, see, and watch that strange fucking movie, which I'm sure, compared to what a modern superhero movie is now, is just so bug nuts fucking insane i can't wait to rewatch i mean that. it would it was bug nuts fucking insane 10 years ago so i can only imagine now yeah yeah and so i that's my recommendation i think he's a great filmmaker uh i don't really like life of pi at all but i visually it's incredible and i think he's one of those directors who we don't have enough of out there and yeah that's that's where i'm at this week i'm, I'm in a very movie mode right now like i i find myself you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm I'm in a TV mood. I'm watching a lot of TV episodes right now, or oh, I'm in a music mode right now. All I'm doing is really just like absorbing albums. And we're gonna talk about good music next week, I think, too, because I don't want to. I could recommend uh, some other albums from that. We're gonna talk about Tayana Taylor's album. That's something I would recommend. Yeah, we'll dig into that uh, whole five, five. We'll dig right. into all that. That's part. That's another recommendation. But we're gonna dig into that much more next week when we have more time. That is my recommendation. Is that the show for this week? Are we done? Yeah. Have you been watching any World Cup? No, dude. No, sorry. That's okay. I'm, I'm, I know. I, I, I have a soon-to-be brother-in-law from Argentina, and I saw that something terrible happened to Argentina. Argentina lost yesterday. They got eliminated. And so I, yeah, I saw that, and I thought of him instantly. I was like, I know he's at home right now, just like crying. Well, in the yeah, corner especially uh, Messi, their star player, probably, you know, consensus one of the two best players in the world, along with Cristiano Ronaldo from Portugal. Portugal and Argentina lost yesterday. They were the first two teams eliminated in the knockout stage. So a big loss if you wanted to see them play in the quarterfinals, which a lot of people were. They are both gone, and probably, at least for Messi, I would assume it's his last chance, really, at leading Argentina to a World Cup. They made the finals in 2014, I believe, the last World Cup. So definitely a disappointment. And hosts Russia today knocked out Spain, which is pretty crazy. So... Russia? Russia beat Spain. Okay. Yeah. I don't picture them as a big soccer. They're not. I mean, football, they're, they're good, but they're not. They were not a favorite at all. So the past two champions, Germany, shockingly, didn't advance out of the group stage. And now Spain, the 2010 World Cup champions, are out. And Italy, 
who won in 2006, didn't even qualify this year. So I'm trying to think of the 2002 winners. I will Google it very quickly. My hunch is that it was Brazil, but I'm not positive. So this would be like Duke and North Carolina not making it to the 16 or whatever, you know, something crazy like that. Yeah, for Spain and uh, Germany, for sure. Yeah, 2002, Brazil won. So they're the most recent uh, champions still alive in the tournament. They play Mexico, who is the team I'm rooting for on Monday morning. So how, much, how much longer does the World Cup have? Uh, it's another two weekends, basically. Tomorrow and Tuesday are the remaining round of 16 games. And then next Friday and Saturday will be the quarterfinals. The following Tuesday and Wednesday will be the semifinals. And then the weekend of, what would that be, the 14th and July 14th and 15th. That Saturday will be the third place game, and then Sunday, July 15th, is the World Cup final. And it coincides right now with Wimbledon, which is starting up this week. So if you're like me and a huge basketball or hockey fan, and you're in that rut, this is one of the few summers where you at least have a great July because Wimbledon and the World Cup are going on simultaneously. Awesome. Well, I'm sure we'll kind of keep talking about that as things go on, as the weeks progress. I will talk about it, and you will listen. And I will listen, because I will not be watching. Right. I, it, not that I don't like it. It's just more, I don't have a lot of time, and I don't think I'm going to make time for that, yeah. to be honest. I, uh, that's what I'm here that's for, just so seemed, to keep you informed. Yeah, I, I like hearing about it. That is the show for this week. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show in iTunes. We also have YouTube links. Come find us anywhere there. We have a Facebook page. Please check us out. Leave us messages. Every one of those helps out incredibly. We love hearing from you. Thank you, Mr. Zach Pitts, for the theme music. Check us out on uh, Twitter, Mr. Big Fat Bond over there. Tom, that is all one word, Big Fat Bond. You can find him there, and you can find me at Phil Wiedenheft. Check us out on Instagram. We're on all the social media pages. You can come say hello to us there. We post pretty pictures. Tom posts photos of his cats. Yeah, I just did a good I one post- today of all three of them sitting on the bed staring at me. Yeah, they, you have too many cats, man. They say, cats scare me. I love but them. I love my dog. I'm going to go pet him. I'm going to go beat up my cats. Don't do that. With love. Well, don't beat them up because then you're going to have to take them to the fucking vet again. Oh, one, one last thing I wanted to say. Yeah. One of my cats' name is Serling, named after Rod Serling. Good old, yeah. And uh, June 29th, two days ago, was the anniversary of his death. So he died way too young. Shout out to Rod Serling. I love you forever. Go watch the Twilight Zone, people. Which you can do on July 4th because the Sci-Fi Channel, in keeping with tradition, every July 4th and New Year's Day run an all-day Twilight Zone marathon. So you can go honor Rod Serling in that way. Is it all still on Netflix? Uh, Yes, except for season four. But I believe season four is available on Amazon Prime. Awesome. All right, well, Tom, I will see you next week where we will talk about more movies. Let's guess. We're just going to keep talking. I, I fucking love it. Movies rule. Movies, movies, movies. Tom, I'll see you. Bye. Ya.